Good evening, all. This week, we want to show you something different. You're going to see one of the cruelest, the most heartless crimes I know of. Hello, this is a Raspberry Movie and a Footlong Dog. My name's Warren Cummings and in this podcast we take a look at films, old, new. In this case, we're going to be turning the clock back to a black and white classic, really. So I'm joined again by a popular request. That's what it says on this piece of paper here that's been given to me. Popular request, Martin Holmes, the host of the radio show Vision on Sound, joins me to look at... Well, I'll leave him to introduce it. I have no doubt... But one of the best preventives of crime is the regular uniform police officer on the beat. Veterans like George Dixon, with 25 years service. Now Police Constable 693 attached to Paddington Green. We're having a piece around here with the dogs, drunks, and crime. <laughs> and sergeants. That's the secret. Mixing your manures right. Well, I don't remember. He was coming straight for me. Maniac, that's what you are. George Dixon shot, but this time he really done it. I didn't kill him. I was shooting at his legs. Let's hope it was his legs. This is a murder case. Murder! That's what you've got on him! Murder! Shut up! He shot that copper. He was the one. He killed him. Don't run! He killed him! Yes, I'm back! I'm back! I'm nerfed to pap. <laughs> Being shot by um, Clint Eastwood and drunk under the table by Richard Burton, <laughs> where eagles dare. I don't know. From Clint. It's Martin Holmes, is he? Oh, yes. Yes, that was such a popular episode, it's taken me two years <laughs> to come back, absolutely. And being the homicidal maniac that he is, he's People looking at another much. death on the screen. I am, yeah, I'm afraid so. But all the, all the films I really like involve somebody dying horribly, isn't it? Great. <laughs> And yeah, I'm really not uh, a big fan. I'm not a big fan of horror movies where people die really horribly. But uh, <clears throat> no, I thought uh, today. I thought today we would. Uh, well, I would like. I would. I would. I would. Re- I would regale you with with the delights of uh, 1949's The Blue Lamp. Please do. So yes, you've heard it here, folks. <laughs> We're going back to 1949, and well, the screens turned black and white, and the house lights have gone down. <laughs> Away you go. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a film that you really, really like, uh, and it's uh, it, it's, a, yes. it's a police film, isn't it? Made in 1949, in in the days when people talked in very posh voices. And, From M2GW, um, yeah, and it basically tells the story of two tearaways who uh, are, are doing a number of blags uh, alongside a runaway girl, and their interactions with the local Nick at Paddington Green, not Doc Green, Paddington Green, where one Jack Warner, playing uh, PC George Dixon, bites the dust halfway through the film. He does. Uh, heroically, would you say, or just matter-of-factly? 
It's very interesting, actually, because I rewatched it for this, and uh, it's yeah, it, it's kind. It's that scene is is so iconic, isn't it? That scene in the the foyer of the, uh, the is it, what's it, the Colosseum? The Colosseum, the Colosseum Cinema. Did you notice what they what the, what the film was? <laughs> did you notice what the film was? In the I background? did. Yes, it was something. Like, Granny, it, get it, your it, gun. Like, get, get your gun. <laughs> It Granny, Granny, get your gun. Granny, get your gun, yes. <laughs> is that a real film? No. <laughs> is, no. No, right. Is, is, it, is it actually, it was actually, it was actually a spoof film. <laughs> taken to uh, when you see um, quite a lot of times in in uh, police dramas especially set around London they tend to use Piccadilly Circus don't they with all the neon yeah they love the neon and lights quite a lot and, and, Le- and Leicester Square and all that and, and you can actually see if you look very closely at the background of, of Robert Beatty or whoever you can <laughs> see which films were playing when they were shooting yeah I, oh, you do that <laughs> as well I always do that when yeah I always go there um, there was one film that they were showing Quatermass 2 in the background I can't remember <laughs> but I, whenever they do that shot they have the, the trocadero in the background and I'm always squinted to have a look at the film because um, I think one of the Famous films. I can't remember what was on when Gorgo goes through. I know we're going off from George Dixon to Gorgo. Here, <laughs> where Gorgo traipses on through, he goes past. It's nice that we plan these things. Yeah, I but I, it's one of these. I'm glad I'm not the only person that does this because this is film trivia, and I'm wondering. Yeah. Well, this is going to tell me what year it was made and what's on. I mean, the only thing that disappoints me is when I watch American Werewolf in London. Because by that time the cinema's gone, <laughs> and all mm. you've got is that seedy little porn cinema there, isn't it? <laughs> that they were showing dodgy porn films on. Anyway, from porn films to George Dixon, <laughs> I don't think it's that one... big a leap. That, that sounds, that sounds it, like a Kirsty McCall song, doesn't it? From, from a porn film in Soho to a film starring George Dixon, <laughs> it's not that far. Edward Alexander Wainwright. Your charge with being guilty was drunk of disorderly behaviour at Spring Street, Paddington at 6.40pm on the 2nd of July 1949, contrary to the Licensing Act of 1872, Section 12. Shoot rhubarb. <laughs> yeah, George Dixon uh, bites the dust in a... In a well, I think it's a vignette. No, it's a documentary, isn't it? It's a documentary It's, style it's a movie. documentary film style it's, film, uh, yes. it's, it's actually in the great tradition of black and white documentary style movies. It's, it's a fabulous... It's it's eighty minutes. It's a really really tight piece of cinema. It, you know, it, it doesn't outstay its welcome. The first half basically deals with introducing all the police officers and the storyline that will lead to the demise of one of them, which is the interactions of all the little bits of community, little bits of uh, uh, how the police interact with with the ordinary. Well, let me say less than all. Remember that they are they are not necessarily the higher echelons of society. The unscrupulous <clears throat> members of the darker yes, citadels and, of London and snotty-nosed urchins and who want uh, a jam bun every time they go to the station and terribly posh people with terribly posh mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> Maisie is Maisie yeah. is big. It is fascinating. But the the, the uh, shall we say the language of the streets, as per the cinema of nineteen forty nine, is 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 a whole thesis that needs to be written all on its own. Really. I just there's Go some one... Now come on, son, move on. You ought to know better than that. Fire bearer and see the world. Fire bearer, see the world. 
I'm Jerry's. Jerry's all right. <laughs> it says, where'd you get the car? Up the dilly. <laughs> and Piccadilly, if anyone's yeah. interested, what that <laughs> means if you're not That's from got, London. Nothing to do with Dora Bryan, then. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing with Dora Bryan. Dora Bryan. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain people in this film that will always play the same role for the rest of their career. Dora Bryan epitomises that. Ultimately, she's just wonderful. He said, "You pipe down, or I'll, he showed me a caution. I'll give you some of this." <laughs> well, of course, she does the she does the uh, quite famous. Uh, uh, identity parade scene as well, doesn't she? Where she picks the <laughs> <Yes>. wrong man, <laughs> yes. who looks mortified. What me? What me? How dare I? Just was helping you out. I was on the on the bloody street trying to go to my job, and you said, "Oh, we need to we need to put up some people for a for an identity parade." Will you Will you join us, sir? You've got a hat. You look like Edward Brayshaw. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a man in a hat. He was Edward Brayshaw. Wasn't it? it was Edward Brayshaw. Yes. <laughs> But, I mean, again, a surprising spot amongst a cast of, well, <laughs> icons, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, know um, I, I do want to talk to you about sort of some other 50s icons in another episode at some point. But uh, but certainly uh, Jack Warner, Jimmy Hanley, Dirk Bogard, Robert Fleming, Bernard Lee, for God's sake. Yes, you know, yeah. It's quite the Tessie O'Shea. Tessie, Tessie oh, O'Shea in it. You can't, you can't go wrong with Tessie O'Shea. Yeah, two-son Tessie, halfway ukulele. through the film, you know. See, that was the first time I'd ever been introduced to Tessie O'Shea was this film, and it was was great. I I went and spoke to my great aunt about Tessie O'Shea after that. Do you think there was an intermission? Do you think actually, actually, when uh, Dirk and um, oh god, what's his name? Spud. Spud. Dirk and Spud. Dirk and Spud. To the bar. That's what people did in the cinema. Wanted Dirk or Spud for murder of police officer. So actually, it's a musical interlude with Tessie O'Shea, and you go to the bar, and you go back. Oh, is the film still on? Right. (laughs) She's out the back now, having her pie. Actually, this is uh, two 40-minute pieces, really. There's the it bit is, yeah. up until the shooting and then the bit after the shooting, which is basically uh, a 40-minute manhunt, which I still believe is fresh as a daisy and is still a Absolutely. fabulous piece of cinema. Uh, this is basically when uh, Dirk Bogard goes from the, shall we say, teenage tearaway, who's quite smoothly dressed and a bit of a one for the ladies, to the psycho The ladies? Yes. To, well, yes, to 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 the psycho killer, and uh, I mean the scruffy Herbert in the flat, and then he tries to murder his girlfriend at one point. Which is, I uh, I love the sound of fear where he goes to shoot Dixon because he hmm. says Dixon's cool, calm, and he's not expecting this guy to shoot him. And he, no. he thinks it's all show, and the panic in his voice is uh, uh, this thing works. This thing this works. Thing, this thing works, <laughs> and it's like <clears throat> yeah. as if that's going to get him out of everything. Mm. It's also interesting as if he's a schoolboy that's been caught. Mm. Again, hasn't he? Yes, but it's also so, interesting that he has a, he has his mask on. And it doesn't stop him breathing in any way, shape, or form. Although he goes <laughs> off his nose over the top of it, so he's obviously an idiot. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let's face it. What are you going to do? What sort of disguise where you don't disguise most of your face? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
he shoots him with his mates. I shot at his legs. Well, if his legs are up round his waist, you're all right. He's, he's very, he's very tall, that Dixon. He, he's a former Dixon. ballerina, you know. His legs tall right away up to his armpits. Blooming broad as well, wasn't he? He wasn't a slim man, was old, old Jack, was he? Yes, it's a very uh, staid performance as he approaches him. I must say, the, the last shot you see of him before he, 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 they cut back to him and he's sort of leaning over and falls yeah. down. But that shot where he's on the final approach, as it were, is is a very <laughs> is, is a very is a very it's a very uh, I, I'm I'm amazed by this because I, I I genuinely I was, I was watching it earlier and I'm absolutely amazed there is some there is some cracking cracking performances in it the acting I mean Dirk Bogart is very good in it there's the sweaty scared Herbert I mean you, and, know, and you wouldn't you, think would you think it's his first film because no. I I wouldn't have thought it was his first no, he's, film he's, it's the confidence on screen is is in, yeah. immaculate but also uh the Gladys Henson scene after George dies where I don't oh. spoiler alert I apologize again but um uh that scene where where Jimmy Henley has to tell her uh, that, tell her that George has it's bad news, Ma, or whatever he says to him. because yeah. he's been—he's become a kind of adopted son to them. I mean, in the he doesn't even get the words out, does he? Because no. William Mervyn has to take over yeah. and say his heart stopped all of a sudden, and yeah. we couldn't. We, uh, we but that—I I, I still—I find that a heartbreaking scene even now. Yeah. it's still. Yeah, yeah I, I do shed a manly tear when when that comes on, and and I, I, I I'm amazed the 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 power of a, a piece of acting in a film that's what. 70 years old? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is, um, if not more. Yeah. I'm just off to St Mary's. I want these to be the first thing he sets eyes on when he does come round. Oh, Mr Hammond, I... He's dead. It was all of a sudden, Mrs Dixon, his heart. They had no time to get through to you. No, sir. There couldn't have been any pain, the doctor said. I'd better put these in water. You'll get him, Ma, whoever did it. We'll get him. I expect you will. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, it, you know, it the, the sheer power of the acting in that scene to me is is amazing and again there are other moments in the film that just get you in the same way and it, it uh, there's a moment where i think uh bernard lee uh, wh when he gets told that george hasn't made it um mm. it, it's actually that that moment when his voice changes it, it's it's astonishing it's astonishing vocal acting of a kind probably we don't see anymore on screen because it, it's pitch perfect. And, it and he's playing—he's playing from—he's uh, playing from the phone call, so he's playing—he's playing from a prop, isn't he? Oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, I see. Yes, of course, sir. This is a murder case. He's got no one to react against yeah. speaking to him on that phone, so he has to create it in his head. And it's, as you say, it's the pitch, it's yeah. the pitch, it's the tone. It's pure professionalism. It's Bernard Lee, isn't it, yeah. for goodness sake? But it's a, it's a film of 
incredible small moments amongst incredible small moments you know there are there are little tiny bits of it uh, you know, where you just see the the kids playing in the um the, the ruins you know the bomb ah, well, the, the bombed the out thing, buildings yeah with there's the interesting thing is and it's only mentioned once mm. that you know what is going to happen to Riley and Spud because the little girl sums up because it's the innocence of the child so oh, yeah. have you got enough to hang him now go go queenie all right, Robert, you better get to work. Ring up Thames Division, have them drag the canal. Go through the whole neighbourhood. It's a long shot, but something else might turn up. Right. Will you be able to hang him now? We'll see, Queenie. We'll see. And that's the only time it's really mentioned. Yeah. Any other time... Um, we know where it's heading, we know where the story's heading to, but mm-hmm. it's never mentioned by anybody else except for the innocence of this child. Going, you're going to hang him now. Mm. And, and, that, again, and that it shows gets how matter-of-fact that, fact that was me. as well, doesn't it? You know, that, that, yeah. that, The matter-of-factness of capital punishment, which you either are for or against, or, you know, whatever. Uh, and that's not a debate we're going to have here tonight. But the matter-of-fact nature of that as being part of everyday life is astonishing, mm. really. I mean, in some ways... As lost worlds, as, as showing you how a world has changed. I mean, I I love the film because it photographs that lost London so beautifully. Yes. You know, just it takes you back to an age and an era. And, and in fact, the whole thing really is 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 an escalation of that idea of a world that we no longer can imagine. The the, the poverty, the the lack of stuff to do of an evening other than go and see Tessie O'Shea or or some grotty film. <laughs> grotty game. Granny, get your gun. You know, or, and the or, most exciting or, or thing turn is over a jeweler shop. You know, mm. you know the fact that people would have these strange and peculiar mistresses, and 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 the police would say, "I hey, so won't tell your wife." <laughs> yeah, we won't, we can be discreet in these fashions. For goodness' and, sake! And of course, and the London Barrow people. You know, with the, yeah, the, 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 they would they would get cherries, told cherries, to move along. Right, cherries. Yeah, move along. And he's, you know, oh, do you remember feet. the guy when they see? Um, Dirk Bogart's girlfriend, who's been reported missing, mm. they're standing by the guy who's selling the wind-up toys. Oh, yes. The really tatty-looking, tired yeah. wind-up toys off of that yeah. wooden tray. Yeah. I almost expected, and I didn't see one, I was looking for a match vendor, because mm. that's what I'm associating for that era. Mm. And But the, the, the poverty, the, the austerity is mm. just... It's, more blatant than I've, I've noticed it before in that film because as, as we've discussed before we 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 always view something different we take something different away from this film yes i mean i've seen it a number of times and, and every time i see it i pick up on something else in it and it really is quite you know you feel i always feel like i could watch this film again now you know having watched it this morning i i just i love it so much because it feels it feels fresh and modern. I, I like to say, yeah. I know there are people who who find the the twee um, representation of the police force, or the or the matiness, or everybody's chums, or or the idea of the criminal uh, fraternity being all really, you know, handing glove with the police <laughs> and and honor all this amongst kind of thing. honor amongst yeah, thieves right. and all that all that kind of stuff. It it can it. I know it bothers people, but actually, in terms of purely. 80 minutes of entertainment as a, as a piece of movie. You know, it, it's history. pace. There is it's always pace to it. It doesn't and lose its pace. Shall they let you in? Going straight, Governor. You know that, Mr. Lovell? Oh, sure. Hey. Mike, do those boys a bit of good. Hmm? I'm looking for Tom Riley. What about it? He shot that cover. I see. 
something that I, I I've been thinking about is that once you get to the second half of the film, I mean, uh, Dirk Bogard is doomed. He, he, we see him as this scruffy Herbert, and then he yeah. tarts himself up and he goes to the police station, and we have the ID parade and everything like that. And he, what a fedora he is wearing! I must say. Being, Yes, yes. Well, I mean, basically the hats of the 40s and 50s. I mean, Fantastic. Hats, hats. I mean, when you think about the early James Bond films where he wears a hat and you think it looks, looks like it's so anachronistic. <laughs> now, you know? But that was just what people did, you know. But um, so you get to that point in the film where he's, he, he smarts himself up and he goes and he get he thinks he's got away with it, even though he's obviously uh, been very poor in his interview, as it were. Yeah. Um, when he actually sort of... He, well, it's he, that arrogant confidence. Isn't yeah, it? He, he thinks he, he can basically talk his way out of it. And then he goes back and, like I say, he has this... Uh, the, the girl, has, she's run away again. She's run away to see to Spud's uh, flat. And then he basically tries to murder her, and that's in the end when the screams... Uh, and, and that brings the police coming, but he manages to escape with Spud. Oh, give me some money, Tom! I've got to get away! I'm scared! <laughs> You're dangerous. From then on, it's an absolute roller coaster to oh, the end of, uh, yeah. of the film, and it's a massive, massive car chase. Which, again, I think sometimes people don't really quite realise quite how well filmed that car chase is. I mean, considering you know it's 1949 and people have seen, like, say, films like Bullet or uh, you know, Ronin or whatever, which have got these spectacular uh, French connection. You've got, yeah. but actually. For 1949, and even to be honest, for 20 years later, it's an impressive car chase. Well, and the thing and is, you say to people, you've got to explain there were the streets, they go, but the streets are empty. Yeah, there were no cars then. Yeah, I, I, funnily enough, a few weeks ago, I went back to the house I, uh, I on the street I grew up in, uh, and uh, I was amazed just from the street I, I hadn't been there for you know 30 years, and how many cars were parked left and right um, along the entire road. And when I was a kid, it just, you know, maybe one house in four had a car, you know. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how much more sort of crammed in we are. But those streets, you know, they are they are vast and open and and beautifully shot. I mean, the cinematography on this film is, is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, it's that crisp black and white. I mean, I've it is, said yeah. before, I don't think, I mean, there were colour films being made in Britain in that era, but actually I don't think this film would have worked as well. It's a colour. very, very very much reflects the, the style, the in-house mm. style of Ealing films. Yes. And the, 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 the way they're lighting is, is perfect. And as you say, it is that black and white. It's the shadows. It's... I, I, Again, with the car chase, it's where the police car stops, and in the background, there's a slow. The hoardings are blowing in the wind. It's so it's so well framed. It's, it's evocative, isn't it? It's evocative yeah. of something amazing, and and yet something which was quite. I mean, there's so much post-war austerity, so much post-war poverty, so many yeah. buildings that are falling down, so much homelessness. I mean, part of the plot in the early part of the film is that the, the Jimmy Hanley's character can't find a decent digs yeah. 
you know, uh, the, the housing shortage. And the housing shortage has led to a lot of the, uh, you know, the interactions with the families, you know, big families with small places to live and a lot of the crime that's happening. You know, the fact that the Bobby's on the beat in the first half, I mean, they all have their little ways of getting through it but the the, the lifestyle they're showing you know, that there's a policeman has to shine a torch on a couple and tell them to move along you think you can't imagine that now yeah, you, you get a mouthful of abuse well, it's just it's just you know but it was yeah. that sense of they were yes. the, the, the thin blue line they were law and order they were what was keeping society glued together you Did get you like the, the bit where they were washing down the streets at night as well? Yeah, all these That's images great, yeah. are just not things that you can even imagine now. You know, again, some of the trucks they just look like. How could that possibly? You know, <laughs> get, does that get, go round a corner, or yeah, is it just you know, to go it, straight? I mean, there's a there's a sort of wonderfulness about a world that you you know existed and know had to function before you were born. And yeah. yet, somehow, you can't quite imagine it, and and it gives you a little insight into the world of your parents or your grandparents. That this this is part of what watching these old old films does. But the, to dismiss them as just being a bit rubbish or a bit hokey is there's a lot of great acting. There's a lot of great <sighs> yeah. storytelling, and you get to the point uh, at the end of the the big car chase, and uh, basically Spud crashes the car because that's generally even if you watch police camera action now that's what happens you know when you're being yeah. chased by half a dozen police cars you get, you're going to make a mistake and hit a wall Ask 5F is hello 5f hello 5f frederick from m2gw give me your location m2gw hello m2gw from 5f and proceeding south down scrub the lane try to intercept at that road Now I'm not convinced that Spud is dead, but the, but the most no, he's not. He's he's knocked unconscious apparently. Yeah, uh, the, the storyline was always to be that he's knocked unconscious. Right. Okay. It's just I, I know a couple of um, I know I know a couple of synopses do say that he's killed in the no, accident. No. I mean, we don't ever see Spud again. So, the, the, but we've from, got to assume there's that wonderful shot, isn't it, across the wasteland as he yeah. Well, that was what I was going to say. And yeah. so 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 Dirk Bogard runs for it towards White City. You see White City in the background, but they have to cross this uh, railway. Uh, yes. now, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that Jimmy Hanley knew that train was coming. <laughs> Um, I can tell you a story about that very briefly. Okay. Basically, they were going, right, okay, we're going to have the shot, and they do the bit of him going across the backyard, the high-up shot, the crane shot, mm. and then running down the embankment. And they stopped, and he said, why are you stopping? Well, it's the tube line. Oh, don't worry about that. They set the camera up. He said, what we want you to do is don't stand on any rails, <laughs> but go across the line. You went... You what? So the trains? No, just and this this was um, Dirk Bogart said this. He was saying that um, when they filmed it, they said 
he was you just thought this is how they made films because it was his yeah. first big you assume it's sunday morning i suppose or something yeah it would have been it would have been early hours of the, uh, the early in the morning uh, yeah i have to say that um, jimmy handy does look a little surprised in that tube tray i expect the driver was blooming surprised as well because there well, weren't supposed yeah. to be anyone on the line they literally just pitched the camera up lit it go <laughs> Well, you see, the other thing that gets me about that is when you see them scrambling around under the wires and cables and everything like that, and you think, you know, I know we used to get public information films telling us not to play on railway yes. lines, but you actually think, crikey, now you know why. I mean, it's, You're going to no, get electrocute your yeah, main stars. There's, there's no protection at all. And then you see them clambering over the railway lines, and then there's a wonderful jump cut. I don't know whether it is, you know, that, that, that geographically works, but then sort of... Uh, Dirk Bogart leaps over the wall. Sorry, Tom Riley leaps over the wall, and suddenly we're in um, or White dog, City dog races, yes. the White City uh, Stadium. And of course, uh, as as we discussed in other places, um, uh, suddenly uh, Dirk Bogart is the rabbit being chased by the hounds, which yeah. of course is the entire purpose of the uh, the, <laughs> the uh, racetrack. But of course, this is where you get this uh, wonderful sequence where the uh the tic-tac-toe guys the the criminals all sort of band together to get this young hooligan you know out of their hair really and yeah because uh, he's uh, he's drawing too much attention to them isn't yeah. he really and he's a liability and th- yeah. this is this is put in the forward the first forward to the film isn't it where he said he is a liability he's an uncontrollable yeah. team he has yeah. no direction and of course this is the criminal who we've already met in the first part of the film who refused you know yeah, the professional criminal. Their, yeah, professional criminal. Yeah, who's used to back their little venture, which of course was the thing that led to uh, Dixon. I tell you, the, the other scene that that suddenly sticks in my head was is the woman who who tells him that shouldn't you? Have, you know, one of your men's just been murdered, and oh yes, be out the, catching the real criminals. Driver. Yes, yeah. there you are, harassing motor, innocent motorists. Yeah. And I thought, if, is that not something dead. we still hear today? It's, it's, it's a complete. Yes, it's. You know, it's but it, you can that actually gives it a touch of realism, doesn't it? Because yeah, it's, it's it's saying to you that is the arrogance again, you get I from felt, people. Again, I felt. I, I, I watching that again this morning. I'm sat there thinking, Jimmy Allen, you know, just turn around and say, "Look, you. He was a mate of mine. <laughs> you can just." Off, <laughs> but of course you couldn't do that because that would be unprofessional behaviour, and that would be absolutely, absolutely. But anyway, and basically uh, beating, trying to beat down the doors because it's Operation Turnstile. Oh, this is place. this is the thing. It's so British. We'll keep him. How are you going to stop him from escaping? We'll close the door. Jim, right, shall I will bring you out. The man who shot our PC is going to follow him. Security officer. Operation Turnstile. If he's in the stadium, he's yours. I mean, well, the thing about this is you see all the people piling into the stadium. I mean, I've never, yeah. I'm not much of a one for sports events, so, but I, I imagine that. Uh, it's presumably you don't get stragglers, uh, you know, because they're there for the race. Yeah. Uh, so actually, once everybody, I was kind of thinking they're shutting all these gates and everything. Won't they have people still wanting to get in? <laughs> Everyone available? Come on, all of you. They've only just come in. Oh, what is it this time? They're onto the bus to the shot, George Dixon. 
Did you notice the rain as well? I yes, it, it's suddenly I very think, wet, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you notice the rain, and that the, helps because people come into the light, they glisten yeah. when they're coming into surrounding. Well, the streets in the car chase are bone dry. Oh, this is a bright yeah. summer's Sunday afternoon. It's Again, that really helps with the photography, but it, it, but, the, but then to switch to that sort of... Again, you could argue it's, uh, it's, it's to do with the Tom Riley's guilt Things yeah. manifested on yeah. film. There's a lot of stuff about uh, you know how you subliminally sort of transmit this stuff. Like I say, the the rabbit being chased by the dogs and, and him being the wide-eyed sort of t terrified uh, kid. He's well, it's the it's the lights kid. going down, isn't it? And there's yeah. tunnel vision to escape. There's only one way I can go, and, and he it's is the same way as the rabbit. And we do yeah. know that he gets carted off, and he will have basically paid the ultimate price for this, and presumably Spud will as well. I mean, we we assume. What do you think to his girlfriend? Do you think she would as well? Well, it's tricky that one, isn't it? Because I mean, she, she aids and abets, doesn't she, to a certain she, extent? Well, she does, but she well, I mean, she certainly does in terms of the uh, the uh, cinema uh, robbery, but uh, but also she is she is the main witness for the prosecution in terms of dobbing him in. So, so you reckon she'll go back and bring up that baby? She'll do wind. a deal, mate. She'll do a, <laughs> she'll do a deal. Ad. How many, how many kids did she have in that family? I don't Shut know. Shut up and bring up that do, baby. Do we, do we, do we think that Tom Riley knocked her up before? And that's the question. Would you think Ooh. any of that sort of stuff was going on, or was oh. she a bit too innocent? Well, that? he was a bit. In one point, where he's touching for her heart, he's a bit um, bit handsy, isn't he? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's copping what will be securely known as copping a feel. There, it was a bit. Um, as yeah, opposed to, as supposed to. Felling a copper, which is... <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. This but, is why we get the big bucks, you know. <laughs> but but the, interesting with this, there's no music. There's no yes. theme music. There's no theme music, is there? Well, again, it's that, that ringing of the, the police bells. I mean, actually, you sort of imagine that 20 years later it would have been really, really annoying because it would have been the siren. <laughs> it would be the siren. I like the bell. The bell goes at a nice pitch. Yeah. It goes at a nice pitch. And have you ever sort of have you ever sort of suggested it in a meeting? Could we bring back the old bell? The, on the, the bell. When I when I first and, and joined the number the... plate lettering <laughs> on the front of the car. Oh, yes. Uh, when, when I first joined, the radio sets had um, whale, Luxembourg hail, and them. bell. <laughs> and Radio Luxembourg. <laughs> radio Luxembourg for the light programme. Yeah. But no, I yeah, like the idea. from over the water. This is Radio Luxembourg, the great to And there's the um, there's the badly dubbed control room scene, isn't there? Which is actually the control room of Scotland Yard. Um, right. You can actually see out the windows and see see the Thames area out. Mm. They actually were uh, the police lent them their cars. They yes. are all real police cars, and they did use. So it was made with the stuff. cooperation of. Really, wasn't it? Yes, because the. Cause, I mean, the you get because I mean, like say the documentary style, you do get the, the voiceovers, you do get the captions and everything. Yeah, like that, so they it's, they it's, wanted to use it as a recruitment tool. Right. As well, because there was a work, huge short. Yes, it did work. It worked really well. Uh, they went to Ealing Films and said, we'd like you to do a film. And they said, as it happens, <laughs> we as have this. <laughs> as it happens, we do happen to have yeah. this film in the mix. Uh, it's called The Blue Lamp. Yeah. Uh, they read through it and they went, even though the main character shot dead halfway yeah. through, they wanted it. That'll be good for recruitment. There's a 50% chance you'll survive your day. <laughs> you won't make it to retirement. <laughs> 
So don't bother having a pension. Just grow begonias. Yes. Grow begonias. But you see that again. The interesting thing I think that the 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 film is. I I mean there is there is a kind of pre-credits. You know, in the sense that there is a big car chase and somebody's killed, which is to demonstrate the 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 crime wave that's in progress. But Mm. actually, uh, from that you get Dixon sort of showing somebody the way to the nearest railway station. Excuse me, officer. Can you direct me to Paddington Station? Yes, sir. Straight across the green, turn left over the Iron Bridge and you're there. Thank you very much. And of course that same uh, incident is repeated by Jimmy Hanley in the closing moments of the film. Yes. And the pan up to the police lamp and the, and the blue lamp of... The, and the of barrel the organ playing in the background. Yes, yes. And, and of yeah. course that is its ambient sound, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we do get musical interludes in this film because we do get uh, George singing his all-correct song, which we've been introduced <laughs> oh, as one oh. of the things he, he writes. I shall be dumb. You know I'm going to be dumb. I write little verses. <laughs> I write little verses. George, before you go, let these Bow Street boys hear that song of yours. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And we so and we also get a musical interlude with Tessio Show, yeah, and, and quite right too. And uh, but yes, uh, in terms of uh, basically a, a great uh, piece of cinema, uh, George Dixon uh, obviously went on to become a fabulous uh, uh, television character for mm-hmm. twenty-one years after that. Uh, after a five-year gap, to, he he was allowed to rest in peace for five years. That five years he was supposed to be putting in as he's extended. His career. He was, yes. Oh, yeah, he would just lay in for five years. We call it gardening leave. (laughs) So he had five years gardening leave, being dead for the five years and for the duration, (laughs) and then uh, came back on to Say it how it is, why don't you? (laughs) Well, yeah. Did you know the film won a BAFTA? I should hope it did. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's in 1951, film, it won stuff. it won a BAFTA for I, the what best I do British film. Is because uh, I don't know how what policy would have been, but um, presumably uh, after they buried George, did his wife get kicked out of that police house she was living in? She would have done, yes. Crikey! Or would J- Jimmy Hanley been allowed to let keep her on as a lodger? No, because he's not married. It would have only gone to married officers. Why? Uh, that's always been the policy. You could only have a police... They did police houses up until... Or police... They were still doing digs in the mid to late 90s. And they finished about 98, 99. Um, If it was digs as in you got a room in in what they called a section house, then 
yeah, it's single persons, but the, a few forces still had houses and they were only for married couples. So, yeah, she'd have been out on her ear, regardless of whether um, her husband had been gunned down. I'm, I'm, I'm even more upset for her now. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, you know, I she'd mean, have been selling her begonias on the corner, wouldn't would she? It have been, that's it. Would it have been, you know, I mean, within a week, within a month? Uh, it would it would have been, you know, if you think about it, I suppose it would have been... With this housing shortage that there yeah, was. Yeah, housing shortage, she'd have been out on her ear. Because and she didn't have even been... have any relatives to go and stay with Christ. No, they didn't, no. Well, she could go and stay with, um, what's his name's relative, down in Kent, who oh. were shoveling horse manure or cattle manure. Oh, she'd, she'd, she'd have probably set her eye at that Welsh copper, you know. The Hyde Park's all right, of course, very nice indeed. But no mountains. I miss the mountains, man. Hey, who's pinched my baked beans? Sent for a copper, taps being robbed. <laughs> Chuck can't leave a thing lying around for two minutes in this place without somebody knocking it off. Here they are, Taps. Oh, sorry, Lucy. And you haven't paid them yet. But yes, um, yeah, she'd have kept an eye. She'd have kept. I reckon she'd have kept her options open. She's got a few s- years left in her. I still say, is it Mer- <laughs> Meredith? Meredith. Um, Edwards. Meredith, Mer- Meredith Edwards. Uh, I, I still, I still say he. he he has a look of Daniel Craig. I'm sure he might have been. <laughs> he has a look of a Welsh Daniel Craig. I'm beginning to wonder about that. You know, right, yeah, twinkle <laughs> in the eye and all that. And a bit, bit of the old Welsh singing, you know. Oh, this the old charm. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a welcome in the hillsides. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's astonishing. I, I kept thinking, that's Daniel Craig. But I thought, it's, 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 it's Daniel really. Craig. Now I thought, no, the, fil- the film's too, too, too short for a Daniel Craig film. <laughs> I really don't know what to say to that. Meredith Edwards is James Bond is. <laughs> Before they even wrote the books. Here, who's that my baby? Maybe that's, that's who Fleming based him on. Well, there you think. Yeah, penchants for the ladies, good eating, <laughs> singing voice. Yeah, Celtic they... blood, you know. Yes. Excellent. So, um, The Blue Lamp. I think it's a great film. I, I, it's one of those films that you know when you've got you know, nothing much, you can't be bothered. You know, you think, oh, I'll get a, I'll, I'll watch mm. a film this afternoon. It's one of those ones I'm drawn to. There are there are about three or four. There's that one. There's um, the Noel Coward uh, in which we serve, which yes. I'm, I'm drawn yep. to. There's uh, Hell Drivers, which I'm drawn to. Uh, yeah. and, and there's this sort of this era of great British movies. You know, Cruel Sea as well is, is, is another one that sometimes gets, yeah. gets drawn off the shelf. But there's this era of really good, really solid, black and white, gritty British movies. I mean, I know uh, in which we serve is actually during the war, but this post-war era of phenomenal filmmaking that that somehow wasn't trying to be huge... But it was mm. trying to be relevant. It was trying to be socially relevant to a certain extent. Well, and, a lot, and a lot of the Ealing colon, colonies, comedies were very socially relevant as mm. well, weren't they? Yeah, but it, but it's, it's you know it's that I mean probably about a decade because I mean basically come the sixties it all sort of falls apart really yeah. to a certain extent. But in the fifties the the British film industry was just churning out these masterpieces which are still very watchable. Absolutely, and I, and I, th- I think yeah, it's a great film. If you if you've not if you've not seen the Blue Lamp, and and why and not? You, why haven't you not seen the Blue Lamp? And you're going to open it know. with you know with your eyes wide open and going yeah. to and, and not sort of going with any sort of prejudices. You know, it's actually just a great piece of cinema. 
Yeah, thank you very much indeed, Martin. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you again for your second your second appearance. Ah, well, yeah, somebody had to have me back. <laughs> <laughs> he, put, he put the cuffs on me, mate. He put the cuffs <laughs> on me and dragged me down and he said, you've got to do me another show. You've got to do me another one. Shooter, <laughs> I just want to move me. I want to move me barrow five feet along, but no, oh no. <laughs> Martin's available every Sunday at seven o'clock. <laughs> Um, what are you available on? I am available on my uh, weekly uh, radio show on Fab Radio International, which is uh, it's called Vision on Sound, which is uh, which is all about uh, we talk all, all basically all aspects of mad things about kind of old old and archive telly or whatever whatever else the mood uh, takes. <laughs> takes and, you. and sometimes I actually even finish a scent um, tunt. Yes. So, yeah. Anything to fill sixty minutes? You can follow him <laughs> on his Twitter, Twitter Twitter feed. Goodness me, whose teeth have I worried? Oh, we'll talk here. to anybody. I will talk to literally anybody. No, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, in the in the words of George Dixon, at the end of the blue line. Oh, no, at the end of <laughs> evening and... all. What? What you say, George? Evening all. <laughs> evening all. <laughs> and on that positive note, thank you. Always a pleasure. Take care. Bye bye, Dad. Many thanks again there for Martin to contributing to one of our favourite films there, The Blue Lamp. It's directed by excellent Ealing director Basil Deirdrin. Uh, screenplays by T.B. Clark with the original treatment by Jan Reed and Ted Willis. Ted Willis, of course, will go on to produce multiple scripts for the BBC television serial. You've been listening to A Raspberry Mivy and a Footlong Dog. My name is Warren Cummings. Thank you for joining me. Come and join me again next time. Thank you very much again and do pass the word. Take care. Bye-bye. Shoot a rhubarb.